Jessica Baker here from the Herb Walk podcast. Always happy to share information about herbs and Chinese medicine and cannabis with all of you. If you would like to become a Patreon supporter, I am now on Patreon. And for as little as $5 a month, you can be, um, you can support the Herb Walk podcast. And in return, you get uh, herbal blends, classes, and even monthly herbal consultations if you subscribe uh, or if you support at the highest level. Um, you can always find my podcast at jessicabaker.blog on all the streaming services. Um, and follow me on Instagram at Jessica Baker underscore herbalist or to follow my cannabis businesses. That's at the clone city or at clone nursery. So thank you again for supporting and always listening to the herb walk with Jessica Baker. Jessica Baker with the Herb Walk Podcast, and today I am interviewing Laura Logano, integrative and functional nutritionist and canna wellness pioneer. I met Laura several years ago um, through the Holistic Cannabis Academy, which we will talk about later. We, she is one of the founders of the academy, and I was on the faculty and shared several different modules about cannabis in relation to herbal medicine and aromatherapy. And what I really enjoyed about my conversation with Laura is that she just has this very, like not only an integrative approach to nutrition, but almost like a common sense approach to nutrition as well. So I think you're really gonna enjoy our conversation where we talk about um, nutrition and cannabis, microdosing, cannabis, uh, you know, the stigma that still surrounds this medicinal plant, the importance of education. We talk a lot about her daughter, Isabella, and how cannabis has really uh, worked well in the treatment of her developmental delays. Um, and what Laura, refer, excuse me, what Laura refers to as food and mood, which I really enjoyed that part of the conversation. And uh, being a New Yorker, Laura and I did also speak a little bit about what's going on in the New York cannabis space with its new legalization. Um, so, yeah, sit back, have a cup of tea, make a salad, smoke a joint, whatever it is you need to do. And I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. definitely appreciate you being here with us today. And I know everyone's really excited to learn more about you and, um, and what you do with the cannabis and nutrition in the world. So if you don't mind just giving us a brief understanding of what an integrative and functional nutritionist um, is. Sure. Thanks so much uh, for inviting me, Jessica. I really appreciate it. So my uh, background is, you know, I'm trained as a registered dietitian nutritionist, which is pretty conventional and basic. But when I went into the field, that was really the only option. Uh, there were no other options, but I never uh, was interested in being, a, you know, a standard 
a dietitian. In fact, my interest in nutrition started uh, because I was very mesmerized by the relationship with food and mood, which I think we should, we'll talk about maybe later in my sort of journey and epiphany uh, with my daughter. But what a nutritionist who works in the functional field in you know functional medicine or integrative medicine, what we're really doing is we're looking at root cause. So why does somebody have insomnia? Why does somebody have you know a, a number of different clinical symptoms rather than just a bandage approach? And what I always like to point out, and I know your listeners already know this, you know, when we talk about traditional, that usually means, you know, Chinese medicine or more very, very old type of healing as a, uh, modalities as opposed to, you know, conventional. And I think a lot of people try, use the word traditional, but I, they really don't use it accurately. So with an integrative nutrition, you're really looking at... Um, holistically, you're looking at the whole person. So though I'm looking at root cause, I'm also looking at people's other lifestyle behaviors. I'm not just looking at what they eat. I'm looking at their sleep, uh, their movement. You know, I like to use the term movement rather than exercise because exercise can be off-putting to people. Uh, you know, every single thing that somebody does in their lifestyle to come up with a plan. Great. So, I mean, that's so important. I mean, because as a clinician too, we really see that, um, especially with cannabis, people really want cannabis to be the magic bullet. But with integrative, <laughs> with integrative medicine, we know that we it's really the lifestyle changes, right, that are the most important part of of working with cannabis. Um, so, in your practice, do you? Is like are your main clients people who want to integrate cannabis into the nutrition, or is that something that you just kind of weave in as you're discussing lifestyle and nutrition with people? Um, I would say that no, I don't think right off the bat people who come to me are interested in cannabis. I mean, I've been a nutritionist a lot longer than I've been a uh, you know. A, a medical marijuana practitioner. So I think people usually come to me for nutrition and then I may mention uh, cannabis to them, whether it's cannabis with THC or, you know, hemp derived CBD, depending on, you know, what their presentation is. And quite frankly, depending on whether they're, whether I determine whether they're receptive to cannabis, because not, as you know, not everybody is going to be receptive. Have you ever thought somebody may be receptive and then wasn't, but then you got to kind of change their opinion about cannabis? Well, <laughs> it's funny, funny you should say that. Uh, sometimes. I think it really, really depends on the person. Most of the time, it's because there's somebody else in their family or uh, a person who they know. Yeah, education and is, is crucial because I have found that, you know, can I change people's minds about something like cannabis? It sort of can go in the, in the category of politics and religion. You know, people um, are often very staunch in what they believe. And oftentimes in, in cannabis, it is based on a lot of myths and inaccuracies. I mean, that's what I have here in my small city where we live. There are, you know, in, in New Jersey, uh, adult use dispensaries have been approved, but they're not open yet. And it's supposed to happen very soon. However, a lot of the municipalities like where I live, it has been approved, but there are people who are, you know, getting petitions signed. And I have read the petitions. I cannot even believe what they're saying. It's so inaccurate. And that is, that's the challenge with cannabis. You know, even though, you know, the repeal of prohibition was, um, you know, close to a hundred years ago now, it's taken a long time for that paradigm to shift. And I think changing people's minds often is related to 
whether or not they've had their own personal experience. So whether it's because, uh, you know, a friend of a friend or a relative or somebody they know, you know, had uh, epilepsy or migraines and then they use cannabis and it was miraculous. That's oftentimes when people will change. It's not necessarily, it's not always just me educating them. Although for me, I find that it's like chipping away. So every little piece of education can help to, you know, to move that along. Yeah, absolutely. You know, owning a dispensary, um, I'm constantly fighting the the misinformation and people actually, even when I try to engage in, in the education conversation, people were like, well, it's just easier to like talk about it in the old way. I'm like, yeah, but there's nothing accurate about what we were fed during prohibition of cannabis, you know? And I, I also see like, a because I work with Leafly or, you know, Leafly, which is, you know, the cannabis, big cannabis website, and they keep putting out, you know, misinformation as education because they're really just a marketing and advertising website. So I feel like people like us who are trying to spread accurate information are fighting the marketing companies who are still selling cannabis misinformation, you know, because it's easier to put into a little, you know, blurb line to, to sell somebody, you know, sativa or indica or whatever it may be. Um, so thank you for being out there and, and wanting and understanding the importance of educating, uh, you know, your clients and it sounds like your community. So you can, you know, hopefully you get some adult use dispensaries in your area. Um, I know I was just in, I just was in New York City and saw all sorts of um, dispensaries open that were unlicensed. And I'm really curious how they're going to put that cat back in the bag when licensed dispensaries actually come out, you know, because uh, that's a hard thing to compete with is the, the unlicensed dispensaries. But I was happy to see them everywhere. That's for sure. Yeah, it, it, it's very interesting what's uh, going on in a lot of different places. But yes, you're right. With Without the um, education, we're, you know, we're nowhere. We're, we're nowhere. And I, and I think that, but that's like with anything. That's even what I find, of course, in my, my primary field, which is nutrition. Uh, people uh, just have such misinformation. You know, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said to me, I eat well, People don't know what that means. And they certainly don't know what that means in terms of themselves, because there's really no such thing as, uh, you know, a food plan, because I don't like using the word diet. I consider that to be a four letter word uh, for everybody. It's individualized. It's, you know, it's personal, it's personalized, you know, health. So, and, and it's of course the same with herbal medicine and the same with cannabis. It, it, there's, it's not across the board. I mean, if we just talk about cannabis, let's, you and I both know, Jessica, that what can work for one person, as far as the cultivar is concerned, is very different for somebody else, as well as if we only look at one cannabinoid, THC, what one person uh, works for one person and works for another person. Like I'm amazed when I meet some of these people who use products that contain, you know, 20, 30 milligrams of THC, that that would, I don't even know what that would do to me, but it would not be good. So, right. You know, <laughs> yes, everyone is so individual. It's true. Um, you know, I know that you really like to promote micro dosing of cannabis. Um, you know, we all have heard about micro dosing of all sorts of substances these days. Um, but what does that mean for you in terms of like, I know a lot of people who micro, you know, I have quotation marks, you know, microdose mushrooms, but then when I'm actually quizzing them, I'm like, no, I think you're getting a mini dose because you're actually feeling it, you know? <laughs> so, um, so when you talk about microdosing cannabis, are you talking about from like a nutritional standpoint or for, you know, other concerns un unrelated to nutrition or just for like endocannabinoid, you know, deficiencies? 
Yeah. How are you doing that? No, the latter. I mean, for, you know, to really balance your endocannabinoid system and you're exactly right. This is, this is, I think the main thing that people don't understand that if you're really using uh, medical marijuana, the way it was sort of meant to be used uh, by nature and (laughs) just for medical purposes, you're not going to necessarily feel uh, high, which of course is the word that everybody uses. You're, you're not, you're going to just be better. And I think this is what a lot of people don't understand. They assume that if somebody is using medical marijuana, they're going to be incapacitated, uh, that they're not going to be able to function. And that's actually not the truth at all. You're really going to function better. Uh, you know, but people have to find their sweet spot to determine, you know, what is that, what is that microdosing amount? Because it really is different for each person. I mean, my microdosing amount is like, is minuscule, whereas somebody else's microdosing amount would be, could be larger, but you're right. The idea is that they're not necessarily going to, it's not going to impair any judgment at all. Right. It's just going to do that. Like you said, that regulation of, you know, the endocannabinoid system and all the other regulatory systems in our body. Right. That's not the only one. Yes. Um, If people do want to learn more about cannabis, and then we're going to talk about a lot today here where we're just kind of getting started. But if people are already like, oh, my goodness, well, I've never even thought about it from this perspective. Do you want to talk a little bit about the Holistic Cannabis Academy? Um, And then we're going to go into a lot more about, you know, some personal experiences working with cannabis. Um, But but while we were on the education piece, I just wanted to bring up, you know, again, how we met. We met through the Holistic, excuse me, the Holistic Cannabis Academy. Um, So just tell us a little bit about it and, um, you know, why it might be important for someone to um, sign up for some of the classes in there. Right. So, I mean, the Holistic Cannabis Academy is an education platform about integrating cannabis with other modalities. And it was really born out of uh, my experience with my daughter, who has is on the autism spectrum and has a developmental, you know, of course, that's a developmental delay, and how she benefited uh, from hemp derived CBD, as well as very, very low microdosing of cannabis. But she, you know, people, she did have a seizure disorder and people did assume that her seizure disorder was mitigated with cannabis. That was nutrition, which I think we'll talk about in, in a little while, but the Holistic Cannabis Academy has, you're a speaker on, you know, a presenter there. And of course you talk about herbs of which of course cannabis is one, but it's all about the integration. And this is a big deal for me and, and my platform is that what I see a lot is that people want to use cannabis the way they do medication is they just want the pill. And yes, you can get a a THC pill or they just want the product and they don't want to change any other lifestyle behaviors. And do they have success? Yeah, sometimes they do have success and sometimes they have immediate success. But if you want to really change the way um, you know, your body works and the functioning of your biochemistry, you have to do often more than microdose with cannabis. You have to also look at, you know, what you're eating and many, many other lifestyle behaviors. And then you'll really get way more bang for your buck. So that's really what the Holistic Cannabis Academy and that training is about, because there's, you know, 32 modules and those modules look at other aspects of lifestyle. So of course there's a module on herbs, there's a module on, you know, yoga and breathing, there's a module on nutrition, you know, so it looks at a lot of the different aspects of health and how all of those can integrate to make you, you know, the best person you could be. And that's at holisticcanna.com. And, you know, that's what I also liked about the Holistic Cannabis Academy is because every module just wasn't about cannabis. You had like all of the other important lifestyle, you know, the lifestyle changes that need to be made to actually be, you know, what we would consider, um, you know, 
in a prime state of health, or at least in various degrees of stages of health, right? Because we're always uh, along the the curve somewhere. Um, But I definitely want to hear more about Isabella, your daughter, um, because I really liked the way you mentioned earlier about food and mood and and how that really goes hand in hand. and important for like families who who also have either children or themselves who are you know de- dealing with some serious issues and then it's like it's just so easy to give up or it's so easy to be like well my only option is this you know medication um so if you don't mind giving us a little a, a rundown of your experience um you know with whatever you want to share, but definitely kind of what you just touched on with is everyone thought it was the cannabis or the cannabinoids that stopped the seizures, but you, that your belief that it was the, the nutritional piece. Well, yeah, it was the nutrition because it started, you know, she had seizures at a very young age and it was very interesting uh, for me, Jessica, because, you know, when I was trained as a dietitian, I really initially did not work as a clinician. I was working more as an educator and a writer, you know, so I have been in education from forever. You know, my act, my master's degree is in nutrition education. So that is what I wanted to do. I really wanted to make sure I was working in education and communications and teaching people. And, you know, my, you know, I'm going to back up because my initial interest in nutrition was incited in the kitchen in you know the house I grew up in and my mother always had this one radio station on it was a talk radio station and the radio station always had these guests Adele Davis you know these were nutrition luminaries Carlton Fredericks uh, Linus Pauling and I became mesmerized by this because my mother uh, did not ex- have a good relationship with food. Let's just leave it at that. And I watched that. Yet at the same time, she I wasn't sure she was actually listening to these talks but uh, that were on the radio, but I was. And I realized, you know what? I think there's a relationship between food and mood because I was watching what my mother ate and what her mood was. And I thought, you know what? I, I'm going to explore this. Uh, and I was very young and I never forgot about it. And when I was in graduate school, I did a paper on food and mood and it was sort of, it was poo-pooed. It was not something Mm -hmm. that my professors, they didn't think there was any such thing as a relationship between food and mood. And that, I, I thought it was ridiculous that they thought that. And I never let that go. I never let that go. I always believed it. I always looked at it. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I actually did a presentation at Patients Out of Time, which is run by Mary Lynn, Mary Lynn Mather, who is like literally the inventor of cannabis education. I mean, she started Patients Out of Time. I don't know how many years ago now. It's they. I think they celebrated their 25th anniversary a couple of years ago. It was unfortunately during COVID. And I gave a presentation there about the relationship between the gut and the brain, which is all about food and mood and how it is. It's the endocannabinoid system that's driving that communication. So of course I was vindicated because there is a big relationship. And then I took that uh, a step further with my, my daughter who was diagnosed, uh, you know, with autism and she had, you know, just, crazy behaviors and crazy mood swings. And that, and this is many, many years ago that I realized, wait, wait a second, I need to apply now what I believe. So it went, then I went back to be, a, you know, to, to really do the deep dive in functional medicine and really study more about being a clinician. She was basically my first patient and she took me on this journey you know, she's 25 now. So this is many, many years ago uh, to really apply nutrition to help change people's behaviors. And it was very successful. I mean, so successful that, you know, when I would take her to the doctor who was didn't understand what I did at all, 
you know, they just thought, oh, well, you know what, people outgrow, you know, kids outgrow things. I'm like, no, that's not what happened. And in fact, Jessica, she was part of a study. And this is when you know there are problems with studies. She was an outlier. She did not fit into the clinical profile. So you know what they did? They took her off. The, they eliminated her from the study. Well, wh why would they do that? They eliminated her because I was doing too much intervention and she was not fitting the clinical presentation anymore. So that was sad. But that yes, sad. I think that I, I realized and it happened twice, two studies. They took her out of the study because of that. So that was unfortunate. But she is the person who took me on that journey because when she was about nine months old, her neurologist uh, told me that she would never speak. Now, uh, I think that's sort of odd that a neurologist would say that, but I was very naive. I didn't know what apraxia was. Um, I really didn't know what he was talking about. And I just said to him, oh, of course she's going to speak. We're Italian. And, <laughs> and then I really hit the ground running. That's when I started looking at other, really, it's crazy, but that's when I really started looking at nutrition to mitigate her seizures as well. And, and I eliminated them completely and really you know, help with her speech. And then ultimately I became a consultant with a company that developed uh, a fish oil that was specifically for children with apraxia and, you know, her whole entire life changed and in a very short period of time, you know, now, of course, I can't get her to stop talking. <laughs> so. <laughs> um. That's, that is incredible. So what did you, I mean, other than the fish oil, what are there, I mean, and we all know that there's no one size fit all scenario. Um, but can you give some examples about like, did you, was it more about food elimination or was it more about like bringing all the good things in? Obviously a little bit of both. Um, uh, it, it was all, all of the above. So the, the two obvious things that get eliminated from the diet of a, of a child with a developmental delay and with behaviors are uh, gluten and casein. So of course, gluten is the protein that's ubiquitous in the diet and found, you know, in grains, but it's in so many processed foods, you know, as a tiny little ingredient. Uh, and, you know, you really need to work with, uh, you know, a, a nutritionist who's well-versed in, removing gluten from the diet. Now that is very necessary for people with celiac disease. And again, this was very interesting. Originally, you know, the quote unquote experts who I know many, you know, I have dealt with many of them would say, oh, there's no such thing as gluten sensitivity. Well, guess what? All of those people did an about face on that and now realize, oh yes, there's very big thing called gluten sensitivity. And many people have it, not just people who have a developmental delay. So, you know, in the time period that I have been practicing nutrition, it has changed dramatically. I mean, I can remember being in graduate school uh, on the day they talked about celiac disease, thinking, well, one in 20,000 people have celiac. I'm never going to meet somebody with celiac. Well, first of all, I know many people with celiac disease. I'm not talking about necessarily my clients, even just people whom I know, uh, including my best friend from childhood's daughter. And it didn't surprise me because autoimmune disease is rampant in their family. And of course, celiac is an autoimmune disease, but then the people who have gluten sensitivity are many. So it's very interesting to me how a lot of people in conventional medicine are staunch in their paradigm and it takes them so long. Um, you're, you're talking, you know, for some of these people, it's like 40 years in practice before they can believe what everybody else is saying. And in fact, it's, 
it's happening more quickly now, Jessica, because now people, the consumer or the patient or the client, whatever you want to call them, they're now on Facebook or somewhere on social media talking about this. And this is actually what happened with COVID. Nobody believed that there was such a thing. Most of the doctors didn't believe there was such a thing as long COVID. And there was, there was a guy who started a, I can't remember which social media platform he was on. He, he put together a group and, and a few doctors paid attention. And now people believe, oh yes, there's such a thing as long COVID. And of course they had to rename it into some complicated name, but it took that to change it. I'm just happy that it, it happened in such a short period of time. But going back to my daughter and the elimination, casein is, of course, the protein found in dairy products. That's a little easier for people to start with because it's a little it's more obvious what products, uh, you know, casein are in. But I have seen results with patients very, very quickly. It's sort of like uh, a drug because both casein and uh, gluten follow a, you know, a similar biochemical pathway to opioids. So if you, oftentimes, if there is a child who is addicted to milk, their response to getting off milk is like an addict. So they may have three days of just crazy behavior, like completely untenable, and then they're better. It's, it's really, really fascinating. And I have to say what I have this is an observation. I would have to check PubMed to, to see if there's data on this. Uh, the addicts who I know have all had literal uh, addictions to milk, you know, drinking literally a gallon of milk a day. So mm. I, I, it's very fascinating. So yes, there is the eliminating food it can be those two are the more obvious ones, but there are many other things for sure. Um, artificial ingredients, you know, that's originally how I started was with Ben Feingold. I, I forgot to mention his name. He was one of the people who was interviewed on the talk show that my mother listened to. Uh, and he was all about, you know, the Feingold diet, which was eliminating certain types of sugars as well as artificial ingredients. And he was mocked until his death. And he years ago, you know, maybe, I don't know if it's 10 years or more, but it was definitely after his death, you know, he was vindicated in the New England Journal of Medicine. And now, of course, it took a long time for, you know, the cereal manufacturers to take out artificial ingredients. But again, this was because mothers said, why do we even need that? But I can, you know, meant all of those food products you know, high sugar, you know, a high sugar uh, in the diet as well. And then for certain people, it can be very specific foods. And that's when you really have to work with, uh, you know, a functional medicine person to really tease that out. You might do testing or you can do that in an elimination way. There's, there's a number of ways to skin a cat, but even with, uh, and this is not just for for individuals on the spectrum, right now is approaching pollen season. And this is when I often would, will get phone calls or texts from people or, you know, or emails because the pollen will impact your health. And then maybe during pollen season, you might not be able to eat other foods. So there's like sorry for the pun, there's like a cross-pollination, you know, with certain <laughs> foods during different seasons. So it really depends on the individual. Mold is a tremendous problem, you know, from, for many people. So it's like a, it's like a peeling of the onion. And I think what happens is that a lot of individuals or families will say, oh, I, I eliminated gluten and nothing happened. Well, first of all, you have to eliminate it for more than a month. It has to be a way longer period of time. And you may have to change a number of other things. So I, I, 
and, and I find the challenge is that food is way more than nutrition. It's, it, you know, it's so many things. It's love, it's socialization, it's communication, it's traditions, it's culture. It's the most uh, challenging habit, lifestyle habit for people to change or modify. No, you're absolutely right. Um, as a clinician, it's definitely, um, and as a teacher, because I teach a nutrition class once a year and the first day of the first, like several hours now that I've taught there a few years now, people have been like warned, but, um, I, it is the, the hottest topic. It triggers people more than anything. When we talk about like nutrition, it's, it's nourishment. It is how we nourish ourselves and how we were nourished growing up. And like it, it definitely will, um, it, it will trigger people as soon as you start talking about what they eat, you know, <laughs> and how they consume it. Um, so, and that's why I love it so much because it is like, that's where the depth is, you know, it's where the juicy stuff is, is when we can help people, you know, um, help people become, you know, whatever it is, their view of wellness is, you know, help them become as as healthy as they can. And, um, it's, it's also about lifestyle. Um, let's talk a little bit about the movement piece that we talked about earlier, since we do know nutrition is about, you know, how well we care for ourselves. Um, are you someone who, when you work with clients, are you doing like you need to move this much and is it more like regimented or is it, is it more how I would talk to my, you know, or speak with my clients about um, I'm not one to put like rigid standards on people, but if there is some movement that needs to occur, I, I want to, um, you know, encourage it as much as possible without any judgment about, you know, about exercise in general, because that's another, you know, touchy subject to bring up with people. Um, but when you talk about movement, what does that mean for you? Yeah, well, that you're right. It's a, it's a hot button, Jessica, uh, because number one, I really do not like the term exercise because exercise uh, for a lot of people, including me, uh, could mean, you know, going to the gym which some people do not like to do. Uh, the gym can be very intimidating for people. And quite frankly, you don't really need to go to the gym. There's a, there's a lot of other things you can do to move your body. That's one. Secondly, I think, and, and you know, or people can, it could be team sports, but you know, there are people who don't go to the gym and don't participate in team sports. There's a lot of other movement that goes on during the day. So Number one, just like with food, I have to take people from where they are. So for instance, if somebody comes to me, uh, you know, and they're eating, uh, they're constantly ordering out, they're ordering a lot of fast food, clearly I'm not going to take them to a place to be a vegan. That would be absurd, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I have to take them slowly, just the same way. If I meet somebody who's very sedentary, why would I ever recommend, you know, going to the gym? That's going to be very overwhelming. So I, I think we probably do the same exact thing. You know, I just want to get people moving their body. So whatever, you know, you really have to dig deep and find out, you know, what did people do before? You know, what is it that they enjoy? So can you get somebody, for instance, to, uh, if they need some motivation, then maybe you give the idea, oh, how about, you know, you call a friend or, your ch or you have a, a child you can do this with, or maybe you want to go solo and you go out for a walk and whatever time of the day works, works for that person. You know, a lot of people I know exercise early in the morning and late at night. Those are probably the two worst time. And I use the term exercise because that's what those people are doing. They're going to the gym and they're just maniacal. Those are the two worst times to exercise. You do not want to exercise first thing in the morning and you definitely do not want to exercise late at night. It, you're, it's, you really need to do that in the, 
do uh, if you're going to go to the gym, it has to be a little later and it doesn't have to be, you know, intense. You know, I think, you know, if people are just walking or doing stretching or doing yoga, they will still get results. And later on in life, you know, doing weight bearing is more important than aerobic exercising. So I think there are so much, so many misconceptions around that. And probably the biggest misconception, and this is one I like to drill into people, what you eat is more important. And this is where I, uh, especially in my area, I see people who eat very, very badly and they think they can make that up. Uh, by going to the gym working out yeah yeah and that's very good point that what you eat I'm just going to repeat it is more important really than anything uh you know as far as a lifestyle habit so that is that that's probably my biggest takeaway point and that means that for a lot of people they have to make maybe even make, they have to make changes that they're just not ready to make, but you just have to hold their hands and move and, you know, move slowly. You know, just kind of bringing the conversation back to cannabis. Do you notice um, the people you do work with cannabis? Are you, you know, because like you said, you have to work very slowly with people to get them to, to change their lifestyle because it's changing their life, you know, which as we know, as you peel those layers away, you know, more things <laughs> just kind of appear for you that you're like, Oh, and now I need to look at that. Great. Um, so are you utilizing cannabis in that way of like, are you noticing microdosing is kind of opening them up to like accepting these changes more or are you, you know, is, is that kind of in your framework at all? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I would have to pay more attention to that, Jessica. But I, I do think that if somebody was against cannabis previously, and now you're asking if they were against cannabis previously, and now they're okay with it, are they more open to other things? I, I, I'll have to go back and look at that. I. I don't know, uh, because most of the time, if I'm going to be recommending cannabis to someone, they've already made the nutrition changes. I generally, okay. I, I generally do not. Um, occasionally, I will counsel people about what cultivars or strains to use for cannabis for their condition. But when they're coming to me, they really have to do they have to do the work or at least pretend they're doing it, you know, <laughs> you know, so they have oh, to make some again. changes because, oh, there you, are. you know, because I don't think they're going to, they're not going to see the impact, you know, without the nutrition changes. But I, that's a good question. I'm going to have to take note of that. Because in my world, you know, people are cannabis people, especially now that I own the dispensary and everything. So Cannabis is the piece that they they're already doing, and I'm trying to encourage these other lifestyle changes, you know, or or nutritional changes, whatever it may be. So I guess yours is kind of your clientele is different in that, you know, are you having like quote unquote stoners come to you, and then you guys are working on nutrition? Because I'm wondering if those people are more open to lifestyle changes in general, and you may have answered that. I would say. Uh, that people who are, you know, oh, I'm going to call them over consumers. No, they are not coming to me. Uh, they're not because, coming to you. Okay. No, because they're not, I would say most of them are not particularly interested in nutrition. And I, and I do, and I do want to mention, even though you didn't ask me this question, I do want to mention, I think there's an idea that uh, people who are over consumers, you know, because they have the munchies that they're all going to be overweight. What's really interesting is that does not happen. Uh, there was actually an epidemiological study done a few years ago. And if they compared people who were chronic cannabis consumers with people who were not, 
and the cannabis consumers were closer to, this is an old school term, were closer to ideal or healthy body weight than the other individuals, which makes me think that it's because they are balancing their endocannabinoid system, which is so vital a component of eating behavior. You know, I I've done talks on mm. that. That is, I think that that is so fascinating, Jessica, because the assumption would be, well, if you're a chronic uh, cannabis consumer and then you're overeating and you're going to be overweight and it's actually not true at all. Well, you know, and I put myself in this category of um, I'm definitely what you would consider an over consumer but like so many of my over-consuming friends, we're highly functional professional business people um, and we're healthy, you know? Totally. And, you know, I love the idea of you bringing it back to the endocannabinoid. It's like, yeah, we're actually regulating not only our endocannabinoid system, but our, you know, um, our limbic system and digestive and all of those things that go along with, you know, whole body health. Um, so I'm going to look that study up though, cause I haven't, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, um, it, it's actually very interesting because, uh, you know, um, what's his name? Rogue, you know, is it Seth Rogan? The guy, you know, anytime he's, he's interviewed, people are always amazed that he consumes cannabis all day long. And he always makes the analogy that it's, well, if you have to wear glasses, you have to wear them all day long. Now he never, <laughs> right. He never talks about the endocannabinoid system, but I do, but I know for sure that there are people who do need to consume all day long. And when I went into the cannabis industry, listen, I, I went to college in upstate New York. Uh, cannabis is certainly not new to me. Uh, at all. Uh, I, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn and I always tell people Brooklyn invented weed because it was every, it was everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. It was, I, I don't think I grew up with a single person who didn't, you know, use cannabis, not, I, I, maybe I think two out of thousands of people, you know, it was nobody. I'm not including my parents, of course. Of course. <laughs> um, but, you know, the point is, is that if, you understand the endocannabinoid system and you truly understand that the endocannabinoid system is driving the bus. That is the system that oversees every other system in the body, as you're alluding to when you're talking about the GI system, the neurological system, the limbic system. So if the endocannabinoid system is not balanced and it's not working properly, then every other system will be out of balance. So I, the, when, Jessica, is it going to happen that every other practitioner, and I'm talking in the medical field, realizes if you wanna fix a lot of these other chronic diseases, you better start with the endocannabinoid system. We're not there yet, but I think you know now, people have heard about the ECS, at least. I don't know that they really know how it works and what it does, but I, but this is, it's such, um, I think when we have people like, you know, comedians like Seth Rogen and even, even Snoop Dogg and, and Woody Harrelson and all these guys who are major over consumers, they're normalizing this. I mean, look, look what's going on. I mean, for, for goodness sake, you got Snoop Dogg and Martha Stewart doing a show together. <laughs> did, did, did Which ever... I will never understand. That is still <laughs> perplexing to me. <laughs> well, you know, they've taken two major brands and put them yeah. and put them together. And, and, you know, Martha is the ultimate businesswoman in chameleon. And, and I, and I think that, not that I know Snoop, but I would like to, he, I, I think he saw an opportunity. And I think a lot of these celebrities are, are going to change the face of cannabis. They've already done it. Uh, of course, none of them are talking about the endocannabinoid system, to my knowledge. But, you know, it's people like us who are going to talk about that and legitimize, you know, why it is okay for people to use cannabis every day and why it's a good idea. Yeah. That, that was a big thing for me when I, 
entered the industry and I saw how many super functional people uh, were using cannabis every day, you know, doctors, lawyers, you know, people who you would, who one would assume, you know, were are not using cannabis. But part of that problem is there's such a, a stigma around cannabis. Even now, people won't say that they're using it, even though we have, you know, wild legalization across the country. And I, I do you think that the federal prohibition is going to, you know, the, the categorizing as a schedule one drug, do you think that's going to change in our lifetime, Jessica? You know, I think it will in our lifetime. Um, I don't I think do. it's going to be the next couple of years or anything, but I mean, there's just no way at the trajectory that it's going that that's going to happen, you know. I agree. What a day that's going to be, right? Yeah, yeah. That's it's going to be amazing, but we're not quite there yet for whatever reason. But I really do believe, you know, like New York legalizing is the state that I think that will finally just topple the whole, you know, federal reluctance to do it. Um because it's just such a huge market, you know. There's so many people um <laughs> well it's like a, i said brooklyn I brooklyn, just, brooklyn is the number one market in the world brooklyn alone not you know remember new york is five boroughs and brooklyn is just yeah. one it's actually the number one cannabis consuming market in the world and i was like oh go for my hometown uh but of course, I'm talking that's the illegal market. <laughs> that's not necessarily right. the legal market, but you're right. What I find it, you know, nobody cares. I hate to say this, but the East Coast doesn't really care what the West Coast does, you know, because everybody thinks, oh, well, they do everything differently on the West Coast. Interestingly enough, you know, New York City in and of itself is I mean, there's a lot of different people here, but everybody assumes that it's very liberal. Well, that's not necessarily the case. There's a lot of people who live here and it takes a long time for these these laws to change. And of course, you know, on the East Coast, we have so many, especially in the Northeast, we have so many more states, but they're one at a time. They're getting there. They are. It's, it's definitely happening and I'm excited about it, you know. Um, so, so we'll see. And I hope it's, you know, well, here's a, here's a question for you. It would kind of like wrap up the conversation with this, uh, with as many questions as <laughs> that might be spurred from this next piece, but, uh, you know, at least everywhere else, you know, the edibles market is junk food, you know, it's oh. gummies and it's like, you know, just everything's just sugar based. So in your perfect world as a nutritionist, how would you like to see like cannabis and edibles and all of that moving forward? Oh, this is this is my pet peeve, Jessica. I talk I about <laughs> I talk about this all the time. Why are we taking an anti-inflammatory product? Okay, such as cannabis. So we know that CBD, it, let, let's just separate one cannabinoid for now is the ultimate anti-inflammatory ingredient. We know that terpenes, which are of course the aromatic products in, in, the, in cannabis and exist in a lot of plants, obviously, are, work so well uh, in, in the body. And now we're taking this product, we're putting it in foods. Yeah, it's always a gummy. And not only is a gummy that has sugar, and of course, sugar is the ultimate inflammatory ingredient. So now you're putting an anti-inflammatory product in with an inflammatory ingredient. And then on top of that, there's artificial colors and flavors. I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't get it. And you know, in, in my market here, you cannot get anything but those products. You cannot get anything but sugared artificial ingredients. There's no such thing here in New Jersey. And I, I'm not sure, I don't think in New York either, 
except for products that are have a lot of sugar in them and artificial ingredients. Now, if you go, of course, to California and Oregon and Colorado, you'll get fabulous products. Uh, I, I don't know if it's going to be here. It's going to take more time, maybe. I, I don't know. You would think that the market would demand that. But right now, because it's only a medical market here, it's it hasn't demanded it. And right. I think that and I, even when I go to the dispensary uh, that when it's opened, it had very it had some lower THC, higher CBD flour. Now it doesn't have it anymore. And I think it's unfortunate. I think it's because it's what people are demanding. That's what that's what these dispensaries sell. Uh, but of course, I would love to see edibles that have much better ingredients in them. Like, you know, we had a, a speaker on, you know, was at the Holistic Cannabis Academy who had a, um, a company where she made, she, she actually has celiac and she made these spectacular products that were, you know, seeds and little granola bites and fabulous products. She went out of business because people were not, I, I, and that was in Colorado. I think it was because people just weren't buying the, you know, the products or her business, it couldn't, she couldn't sustain the model. So I think it's really unfortunate. Um, people still want to eat junk food. I, it's sad. And I would love to change that. If you have any ideas, let's talk. You know <laughs> I know, no doubt. That's my thing too. Is like I, you know, edibles. I don't really eat because I don't eat candy. Like mm -hmm. I don't like gummies. I don't want a hard candy. Um, I've had some good like chocolate, like truffle edibles. But again, it's like, you know, I'd rather it just not be junk food. You know, and I've seen like the olive oils, and people have done some infused oils and things like that. I don't know how well they sell, but um, at my dispensary. People want gummies. That's what they want. And, you know, at this point, I don't. There's a lot of things about the, as it's becoming legalized, I am not so happy with the trajectory of where the market's going. But, um, you know, it's kind of like a freight train. <laughs> Once it starts, it's really hard to, like, to stop it. And the gummies is just, you know, that's universal at this point. That's what people it, are eating. And It really, it really is. What's funny to me is I'm surprised that there's not as much at brownies because of course, when I was in college, that's what was the big thing were pot yeah. brownies. That was the ubiquitous thing. Now, nobody knew what they were doing. Nobody was making can of butter <laughs> or, or, or a can of oil. They were sprinkling cannabis in brownies, which was tasted pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that is not a big, that somewhere that went out and the gummies came in. I, I, I'm sure I could do some research and do a historical perspective on <laughs> cannabis junk food. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say about that other than you're right. It's a, it is a freight train and that's what people want. And I think when you, as much as you know, you would like to stick with your ideals, you also have to keep the doors open at, at, of your dispensary of your store. Yeah. I've seen this happen in restaurants, just to give a little analogy. There's a restaurant right on my corner and the chef owner years ago when he opened had, you know, he had all sorts of inventive dishes. Well, then slowly but surely those dishes went off the menu and he's a good friend of mine. And he said, yeah, it's a problem because people don't order those things. They want like a hamburger and fries and, you know, he, his rent I'm sure is expensive and he has a payroll and, you know, unless like you're in a very densely populated area, like in Manhattan somewhere or some big city and you get, you know, a Michelin star, you really, you really uh, have to offer what the consumer wants. It, it's very, I think, you know, it's difficult. And, and I'm obviously you've experienced that in your own dispensary. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have every day. I'm shocked at what people are buying. Um, but, you know, I'm 
in a very working class neighborhood and there's a dispensary every couple hundred feet. You know, there's definitely a lot of competition where I am. Um, so I mostly sell plants. That's my that's my niche mar- niche market is I, I'm in the clone nursery. So I get to, uh, you know, sell my clones out of my, my dispensary, Clone City, and it's great. Um, well, if you have anything else you want to just, uh, you know, if you have anything to inspire the listeners, if they want to get into um, learning more about cannabis or learning more about nutrition, um, if they maybe want to work with you as a client, if that's an opportunity, anything you want to share with, with my listeners in the last few minutes? Sure. Well, it, I mean, if you're a uh, an educator or a clinician or somebody who wants to work in a dispensary and you really want to learn about how to integrate cannabis with other modalities and what cannabis is and what the endocannabinoid system is, the Holistic Cannabis Academy, which is at holisticcanna.com is a great way to start. And what I'll do is um, I'll give you, you know, the, I'll give everybody a discount code. So the code will be Baker and you'll get a discount for signing up for, you know, for the program. That's one. I think the second thing is we really have to look at, I mean, you, you and I are bemoaning about edibles, but I never thought, Jessica, in my time, in my college, where, you know, cannabis ruled, it ruled. Nobody, I went to a state college, nobody there was uh, doing any other, they weren't doing any drugs. I'm not even going to refer to cannabis as a drug. Cannabis ruled. I never thought ever in my wildest dreams that number one, I would be working in the field. I mean, I wrote a book called The CBD Oil Miracle that's published by a big publisher by St. Martin's Press. Oh, I never <laughs> thought that that would happen. I'm sure you never thought that you would be selling clones. So we've come a very, very long way. I, I think with the edibles, I think we will get there. I, you know, listen, the demand is already in many other states. So I think we will see the demand definitely where I am on the East Coast, uh, for sure. It just takes time because now the market is going to be so much bigger with the adult use market. And I, and I think, you know, I want people to know that for cannabis to work, uh, to really change your health, you do need to also make sure that you're consuming food mindfully and whatever works for you. And, you know, people can get in touch with me. Uh, my email is laura at lauralagano.com and my website is lauralagano.com. So it's, it's easy. Yep, that is easy, lauralagano.com. Well, Laura, um, it was awesome talking to you. I'm really glad we got to do this. And it's been a while since we've actually spoken. So it was just nice to spend time with you today. And I um, definitely appreciate you coming on the Airwalk. I am so thankful to be here. Thank Jessica, you're the best. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Laura. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. I want to thank Laura Logano once again for coming on the Herb Walk and speaking with me about cannabis and nutrition. I plan on having Laura back actually to have a conversation about nutrition and um, hormones because I think that's a really important topic to kind of talk more about. And I, well, I feel like Laura and I barely got to to just barely, you know, breach the subject of of what we need to do for for um, you know our individual personalized nutritional program.
So thank you for listening to this episode of The Herb Walk with Jessica Baker. And as always, please like and subscribe and share the podcast with your friends and family. Have a beautiful day. Mm-hmm.